Hey, House Call community, welcome back. We are in season seven, and just like we always talk about connecting our health dots, putting it all together so that we can see a whole picture, so you can start making better health choices yourself and begin to live that whole person care, beginning to get that whole person care so that you can be at your best. You know, everybody's best is different. And that's the beauty of us all being individuals and knowing what's best for us. Because our bodies, if we listen to them, they tell us exactly what we need to be doing. Right, everybody? I think I can hear everybody saying, yeah. (laughs) But today, we have in the house call community a dear friend of mine, an old classmate of mine, if I dare say. We have Mr. Don West Jr. in the House Call community. Welcome, Don, to the community. Hey, Dr. Lakeisha, how you doing? I am great. I am great. This is so I I'm I'm in my geek heaven. I'm I'm one of those full circle moments I tell the community all the time. We go way back. <laughs> if I do dare to mention that, um, we go back to elementary days at Oakwood Elementary. And I, I tell you, when I'm looking back over it, I'm like, wow, it doesn't feel like it was that long ago. And I, you know, I'm not going to claim the years. I'm not going to claim them. But, um, you know, as people, as life would have it, our life's paths, we, we went different ways. You decided to do, you know, your career path and it took you to a different place. But we've reconnected through the magic of social media. And I started following your story and I actually did not know your health challenges that we're going to talk about today. And once I saw a post that you did and I was able to sit down and really um, go through it a little bit more than just kind of on the, on the go, I said, oh my goodness, we have to have Don come in, sit down and tell his story to the community because your story is really going to help a lot of people. So Don, can you tell us what is the health challenge that you were diagnosed with? So uh, my diagnosis is I have a, a dual diagnosis of uh, bipolar disorder, uh, type 2 bipolar disorder as well as a diagnosis of uh, adult ADHD. And um, those are, in terms of my life experience and my life walk, those are very recent diagnoses. So wow. they, that, those, those, those challenges and those conditions have been with me uh, most of my adult life as I look back, but I didn't get those official diagnoses or acknowledge them until very recently. Really? So that's interesting. Let's, so let's kind of go back. And you're saying that you didn't get those diagnoses until recently. So looking back, can you tell us, I'm, I'm going to give you kind of full reign here. So take us on a journey. First, can you tell us when you got your diagnosis and what led to that? Let's start there. And then we're going to go back in time, kind of do one of those retro things and see how you can now start putting the pieces together um, because you're saying this was an adult diagnosis. So first, tell us how did you come, how were you, how did you get your diagnosis and, you know, what led to this? So uh, my, my official diagnosis actually came because I was placed uh, on an involuntary hold uh, in, in the psychiatric ward of the hospital, um, and that's where I was uh, officially diagnosed as being bipolar. Um, uh, and that, that happened in 2012. So up until 2012, 
essentially I was uh, undiagnosed bipolar and was uh, was left to my own uh, tools and devices to, to you know make it my way in the world. Wow. You okay? So I know people are probably hearing this. You were placed on an official seventy-two hour hold, which is involuntary, right? That's an involuntary yeah. hold. As far as I, I mean, it, it's possible that that hold could be voluntary, but okay. mine and my circumstances, <laughs> your circumstances it, was involuntary. So, <laughs> it was involuntary. Do you mind opening up and sharing with us what led to that involuntary hold? So sure, um, and 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 in the spirit of, of the flashback, I'm, I'm gonna I'm gonna flashback further than your question, and, sure. and I'm gonna flashback uh, to 2001, mm-hmm. and that's really when my my first true. Uh, indications that there was some 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 issues that might be bipolar type issues really came about. Before that, there were little things, but they weren't truly you know bright indicators. There was not a, a clear sign. But uh, my my grandmother passed away in, in 2001, mm-hmm. and she was very close to me, and 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 I, I had a very strong emotional connection to her. Right. And 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 at this, I had also recently graduated from law school when I was in my first job. And it was like the most stressful part of the year for that job when she passed away. And the confluence of those two things caused me to have, uh, I guess, what would be a, a chemical a chemical surge of, of mm-hmm. some uh, type in my brain that, that's different than what happened in, with a normal person. And, and it caused uh, the, the, the first bipolar break where I had my first uh, manic episode as a result of, of all of those stressors coming together. Um, and that's when I first found out, you know, really that I, I had something going on with me that was really a lot different than other people. And, you know, I, I did some, some dramatic things. I called, I called off my, my engagement. I was supposed to be get, get married uh, like three months after that, that, that whole period. But I called off my engagement. Um, we had been together for eight and a half years. So everybody was really, really stunned by, by that whole thing. Um, and I stayed up for like four or five days. I, I can't remember exactly how many days. But uh you mean you, was, you really did not sleep like you were you felt like you had that much energy? Yeah, I would sleep. I would sleep about two hours a night, which really is, is not sleeping during, during that particular period, um, because I, I was at full energy. It was like it was before I had ever been introduced to Red Bull, but it was like somebody was shooting me Red Bull every three hours. I had to drink a Red Bull. It was, um but it felt it felt like it was naturally occurring and coming from within. So in, in some ways, it felt empowering and it, it, it felt it felt great. Um, but everybody else around me was was going crazy. So you know, as an observer, you're like, well, this feels good, but everybody's acting like I'm on fire. So what's up? Mm, right, right, right. Oh my goodness. So you break off your engagement. You're in a new practice. What what else is happening at this time? Because you're saying you still don't have an official diagnosis. Did anybody even confront you at all, unofficially maybe, about, hey, so, I think something's so going on? It, 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 it's interesting because, you know, and just more background, my undergrad degree was in psychology, and, and so was the young lady I was engaged to. So we both have an undergraduate degree in psychology. And uh, by happenstance, her dad is the chair of the psychology department at a university in Florida. So there's a lot of psychology stuff floating around. Um, and it was actually this, this young lady, when we broke up, she left a, a note uh, and an article from, I, I believe it was Essence magazine, but it, it, uh, she left a note in the article, and, and the article is about black men, uh, the, high, the high incidence of bipolar disorder within our community, and the low incidence of, of treatment and, and, and proper diagnosis. And she left that article for me, 
And I actually did go see a psychiatrist, and I spent several sessions with him. And it was it was his advice that caused me to go down what I'll call the wrong path in the way that I handled and treated my health disorder because Mm -hmm. he said that he didn't think I was bipolar, and 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 more importantly, he said if I was bipolar, he wouldn't want to diagnose me bipolar because he wouldn't want that to uh, affect my career. Especially, he wouldn't want the 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 bar to come find out and ask the people that regulate lawyers. Mm -hmm. He said that would cause me problems with them. And so I became extremely guarded about mm-hmm. all things bipolar, bipolar related, because I had been given counsel from what I thought was a very credible and, and authoritative source that I should keep this secret and keep it quiet. And that's essentially wow. what happened between that point in 2001 and 2012 when I actually got officially diagnosed. Well, so we're talking 11 years here. Just yeah, eleven years of me me trying to keep it quiet, keep it secret, and keep it under control, and and and, and there's like a, a an inferno raging inside, yes. and and you're trying to you know make sure nobody sees the smoke. Right, <laughs> right, exactly. That is, oh wow, that is the best way to describe that. So now we're jumping forward to 2012. What happened where you couldn't control the smoke signals anymore? So it. Between 2001 and 2012, I actually developed a, a number of tools that helped me manage and control uh, my my varying uh, levels of energy and, and mood. Okay. Um, but specifically in 2012, I decided to ignore some of those uh, ah. tools that I had developed and allow myself to enter into a bipolar space. And uh, it was kind of like a, a, a a petulant child, I was just mad at the world, and I was just going to have my little rage, mm-hmm, um, and mm-hmm. and and that's how it started. But it, it ultimately, I, I I lost control of the chain, and I couldn't hold it back anymore. Wow. And it, it it started on July twenty fifth, two thousand and twelve, and and that 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 energy of that manic experience, it was the longest I've ever had, but it lasted uh, probably until I was in the hospital, which was in the end of August. So it was it was a, a, a good month of and so what are, what were some of the things you were doing as this angry child like you said that just couldn't keep a rain you know a hold of the reins anymore give us some examples like what what are some things how did this look in a in a i went everyday? on i went on i went on like a, a 72 hour tirade on facebook where mm-hmm. essentially i i just uh, dropped as many f bombs and 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 yelled at as you? many people as I could. Yeah, it was it was amazing because people from all over the were calling me and trying to figure out what was going on if my account had got hacked, if I was okay. Wow. Um, because it was it was extremely out of character. Um, although people who were close to me and 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 know me, you know, like behind the scenes, uh, behind uh-huh. the veil, they know that I I'm quite salty with my language, so they weren't mm. surprised by it. But, <laughs> The overwhelming majority, including my mother and lots of other people, were like, what's going on? Here? Right, right, um, right. But, you know, my mom had never really heard me ever use any, any curse words or foul language. And, and she called me during this period, and I just, I went off on my mom. I, I, I was yelling at her and, and, and cursing at her. It was, it was very uncharacteristic. So that, that, that was the, the, you know, uncharacteristic uh, behavior are uh, one of the hallmarks and, mm. and uh uh, indicators that there might be uh, something, uh, especially within the manic, the manic phase of of, of the the bipolar arc and curve. But you know, you have you have manic energy, which is expressed in uh, excessive energy. Mm-hmm. Um, sometimes there's there's a, a grandiose uh, uh, delu- 
delusions about you know either yourself or your position in life or the things that you're right, doing right and, right and 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 it'll cause people to do all kinds of things spend money make make crazy actions or you know exclamations mm -hmm. especially with social media it, it opens up opens up people to a little bit of vulnerability yeah. but uh, so yeah that's that's actually what happened i, I went on the social media rage and I live in California. My family's in Alabama. Mm -hmm. so my wife said, I, I can't deal with you. You got to go home or you got to go somewhere because I can't deal with you. Wow. She didn't want to put me in the hospital. She didn't want to be the one to involuntarily clean because she doesn't believe as much in the, in the, uh, the, the, the current medical model of, of treatment. That's not her, her philosophical bent. But okay. uh, I went back to Alabama and it was ultimately my mom who felt it was in my best interest to have me involuntarily committed. Wow. My goodness. So you, I, I want to get to talk a little bit of the science behind bipolar and bipolar one, bipolar two, depression, a little bit of those, of those, but we're going to get there. Um, I don't want to stop you in your, in your turn of thought of your story. So now you're in, in the 72 hour hold. Tell us what, what is that like? I, I really want us to get kind of a behind the scenes of what does this what does this look like? We're we're talking about your mental health, your mental wellness, and we need to look at it just like we look at hypertension, diabetes, cancer diagnosis, um, all that stuff that's kind of from the neck down. We still need to the the things that are from the neck up, the head, needs to be looked at as just as serious and in the same light. So now you're in a 72 hour hold. What does that look like now for you? What's going on? So when, when you're initially placed on a 72 hour hold, when they first do the intake, you're placed into a, 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 a room that is very much like a jail cell. It has, mm -hmm. it has metal walls. It has a, a metal bed. It has metal floors. Um, because lots of times when people come in, they're in a very, uh, agitated state. Okay. Um, um, so you're in a very sterile environment. But the thing is, like you said, it's a medical environment. It's a hospital. So for me, my experience was instantaneously when I realized the situation that I was in, for me, it was a moment of clarity. It was a, mm. it was a, it was an instantaneous, uh, this is a very serious thing that I have to make sure I stay in control of or else somebody else is going to be in control. So that wow. was That was my experience. Now, other yeah. people that were around me in the same process, they didn't have – that that amount of of self-awareness and self-control to instantaneously change their behavior and they had to have a whole lot of other things done to bring them in into uh participation in the whole process okay but for me i instantaneously knew that i was in a serious situation and <laughs> i had to you know get control of it so okay. from that point forward you know i was done with my my rage against the world and my focus at that point was to be compliant with whatever these people wanted me to do so that I could go home. Okay, um, okay. Now, and, was medication involved with this and, process? And that was the biggest difficulty for me because as soon as I got there, I'm in this metal room, and they come and they bring me uh, some pills, and one of the pills is in a case. And I, I, I can't attest to this being accurate because I know I was in a, a, a special place. It was the pill was in a it was it was inside of another another it was like a glass case the pill was in that they brought me and I, I refused to take medication I didn't take medication for my I was there for seven days okay uh, even though it was a seventy two hour hold the courts were backed up and it took them seventy day seven days to to, to actually hear my case wow um, 
but I didn't take medication for the first six days because I required the doctors to explain to me what we were doing medication-wise and and uh, bring me information on because I didn't have access to the internet or anything at that time. Mm. So they printed me out reports and medical medical journal studies on, on the medication they were recommending wow. for me. Um, and, and that was also interesting in, in, in that when I was discharged, the staff came to me and said, nobody else has ever come through here and taken control and command of their situation the way that you did. So that's, a, I mean, it's, it's your health, it's your, it's your, your health care. So uh, everyone that's listening, whether we're talking about mental health or your physical body health, you're in control and you have to ask the questions and you make the decisions as to what happens. And, yes. and uh, I guess people don't go into it thinking about it that way, but I was definitely not letting them control what was going to happen with my, my brain and my mental health. I was going to make all the decisions. That um, is and excellent. I insisted wow. upon that the whole way through. That That's one thing that we talk about here in the community is that you have to be part of the healthcare team. You are an intricate part of that team. You're the CEO of the healthcare team. There you go. There you go. And so you can't just say, oh, well, the doctor just gave me this. I don't know what I'm supposed to do with it. No, 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 no. Why am I taking this? What is this supposed to do? And you need to have a very clear understanding of what is the intended outcome, what are possible side effects, how this could affect me, and where we're going with this, and how long am I supposed to be on this? Is this something I'm going to have to be on for the rest of my life? Is it, you know, what is the time frame? So you being an active participant in your health care was very vital for you, and I believe that was vital for you even in the, going forward and, and talking about what you're going to do beyond this seven days, beyond the 72-hour hold. Um, becoming that intricate part in your healthcare team, being the CEO of your healthcare team was very intricate. Is was very, uh, it, it was it was it was paramount for you, is what I believe. So, can we go just a little bit? I just want to explain just a little bit about the um, bipolar one, bipolar two, depression. Um, some of the the chemicals behind it some of the science behind it now I always make a disclaimer my background is not psychiatry or psychology um, so we we do have a link on in the copy of the show to take you to a really neat uh, video that was placed um, played in um, Medscape which is one of the um, one of the medis- medical websites that I subscribe to as a physician and it was really neat how they described the chemicals and the way that this is portrayed um, in terms of how it could even present so we'll have that link in the copy for everyone to go click on but just very briefly you talked about bipolar 2 so there is a difference between bipolar 1 and bipolar 2 and what happens is you can have periods where you have very depressive episodes and then you have periods of what are called mania where you're very, your energy is very high, but it's, it's higher than, because so some people say, well, I have times where I feel pretty energetic and there are times where I feel pretty not so energetic, but it, there is a distinction between it and the time frame. Um, is another critical um, another critical piece to it, but the mania and what you explained was that you seemed to be very productive when you were in a manic episode, and that was what I believe it dis- distinguishes bipolar one from bipolar two. If I if I have that correctly, and then there are seasonal depressions. There's a thymic disorder. So there are other types of depression that are not necessarily 
connected to a high type of feeling or um, episode of what we would call mania. So if you guys click on that link and it'll be able to take you through all of that so you can understand what we're what we're really discussing. But Don, if you want to jump in and give us a little bit of explanation too, I would really appreciate it. Well, one of the, one of the things that, that, that distinguishes bipolar 1 and bipolar 2 is that often oftentimes people with bipolar 2 have uh, uh, much uh, less uh, interaction with the, the manic side of the bipolar spectrum. They, they, in their lifetime, they may have two or three or four manic episodes. Uh. Uh, at, at least one, that's what makes them bipolar two. Most, most, uh, most bipolar two people deal more, more intensely with the depression side okay. of the bipolar spectrum. Um, so that, that's also something uh, that is uh, indicative of bipolar two. And then for me, the depression... When, when, when the depression side got to be what we'll call, I guess, clinical and, and, mm-hmm. and extreme and not, you know, just a, a little bit down or a, a feeling of, of, of lowness because of situation, but right. a, a real clinical depression, it was, it, was, it, was a, it was a cloud, but not only was it, it dark, but it lasted a, a long time. It lasted uh, over a year mm. uh, at one point where essentially I was convalescing and I... I I didn't work. I, I didn't participate in the world in a, a productive, normal, healthy way. I was just clinically depressed. Wow. Um, and, and, and that was even harder to deal with than, than uh, the, the manic side of, of the bipolar yeah. disorder was the depression. And then for me, because I don't know where along the way, but along the way, I, had, I myself had bought into a lot of negative stigmas and thoughts about people who had mental disorders and the, the the crazy wacko stuff was all in my psyche and I refused to allow myself to be put into that that category mm-hmm. and it, it, mm-hmm. it, it served as, as a barrier to me fully addressing and acknowledging my own my own health care needs because wow, yeah. I, I didn't want to acknowledge that yeah. you know I had the scarlet letter. I didn't want the mm. scarlet letter. <laughs> that is such a good way to put it. Oh my goodness, I didn't even think about that. Yeah, I don't want the scarlet letter. I don't want to be the, for lack of a better term, we have to talk. I don't want to be the crazy person, right? I don't want to be the person right. that people say, oh, you know, what's wrong with them? And we we throw that term around so loosely too, um, and and we really need to take a step back and say, okay. Like you said, what what are the stigmas that we're causing? What are we perpetuating? And how are we playing into people not really getting the care that they so desperately deserve and need? So now we're on this side of it. And I want to get to how we reconnected because I saw a clip that you posted. And so now you're you're living in California and you are associated with a behavioral health center. So what do you do now, Don, to help um, keep the balance in your life? Um, a, number, a number of things, mm-hmm. and, and, and a lot of them are things that anybody can do because they're not specific to, to just mental health mm-hmm. or to the center that I go to or anything. But, you know, I, I, the biggest thing I, I try to do is uh, I, I practice mindfulness. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, and mindfulness is, is trying to live in the present moment 
And, and the reason that's so important to mental health, whether we're talking about depression or any of these other issues that are out there, because a, a lot of times people spend uh, uh, their energy focused on the past or focused on the future. Mm-hmm. And the only thing that's real is the here and now, right? Oh, so yes. if you're worrying about all these mistakes that you made in the past and replaying them and worrying about them and replaying them, you're, you're missing the opportunity that's here right now. And, like, if you have a fear or something happening in the future or whatever your worries are about the future, again, you're missing what's happening here now. So in practicing mindfulness, it brings you to the present moment. So you have a conversation with a person. You stay 100% engaged in that conversation. When you're, when you're washing dishes, you stay engaged with mm. washing dishes. You just stay present in that moment. But what it also does is it gives you an awareness of what's going on with your body because you're paying attention. So your body gives you signals. It says, I'm hungry. It says, I have to go to the bathroom. It says, I have to do this. It says, I have to do that. It says, I need to sleep. It says, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm feeling like I might be getting a little depressed. If you listen, it's telling you all these things all the time. It's sending signals all day long. That's all it does is it sends signals up and down, up and down. So practicing mindfulness allows you to be more in tune with your body. It allows, and, 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 and the key to mindfulness is breathing. So you know, when, when somebody gets all excited, they say, stop, breathe. And what does that mean? Have we ever thought about what breathing is? So one of the techniques I use for breathing is something called 627, the number six, the number two, and the number seven. So what that is is for six seconds, a six count, you breathe in for six seconds. Six seconds in, you hold it for two seconds, and then a seven count out. So the funny thing is that the, the, the person that introduced this to me, it was, it was, it's a scientifically-based principle used in sports to help uh, athletes achieve maximum optimal performance, body and mind, the mind-body optimization so that you're shooting a free throw in the championship game and there's three seconds left. How do you get your body to the optimum point? You have to breathe. You have to focus. You have to calm everything down. And then you have to be in the moment and do the task at hand. So same thing if you're, if you're driving and you panic, if somebody's yelling at you, just take a moment. You don't have to go anywhere. You don't have to close your eyes. You don't have to kneel and cross your legs. You just have to take a moment and take a deep breath for six seconds, hold it, and let it out for seven seconds. And if you watch a smoker, they're smoking nicotine, which is a stimulant, but they say it relaxes them. And you watch them, they take a long drag, they hold it, they relax, and then they let it out with another long exhale. And, and it, it, it's that actual breathing mechanism that takes a stimulant you turn it into a, a relaxing, a relaxing, uh, a relaxing experience. So that's that's a big thing that I do is is practicing mindfulness and breathing, which again uh, I practice that in, in simple breathing techniques. But with yoga, yoga is all about the breath yes. and bringing the breath into coordination with the body. So I practice yoga, um, and then I, I, I attend a, a group a group therapy every every week because uh, part of it is community and sharing yes. and, and hearing other people's experiences and other people's approaches and other people's uh, challenges and successes uh-huh. and, 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 in sh- and in participating and sharing and all of that. You, you, you not only grow, um, but there's a sense of community and, and camaraderie, um, but you're able to share and learn uh, things to help you as, as you go along with your path as well. So those are just some of those things uh, that I, I try to implement on a regular basis to, to, to stay uh, in, a, in a place of wellness and productivity. And, and for me, the big key is rest and making sure that I eat regularly. If mm. I eat regularly and I sleep regularly, then I can pretty much stay in a place of balance no matter what's going on. Wow. Um, 
because my tendency, just the way that I'm wired, is to not do either of those things. Yeah. Just to go, go, yeah. go, go, yeah. go. <laughs> I'm kind of there with you. Because, <laughs> you know, we didn't even touch on the ADHD piece um, where you talked about you had also an adult diagnosis for ADHD. Um, and I do, too. And so when you talk about your tendency is to go, 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 I have the same tendency. And you're right. You have to, it's almost like you have to consciously tell yourself to eat. You have to consciously tell yourself to slow down, to be in the moment. Um, those are the things that I'm also learning myself. And so to hear you say that was just confirmation. Like, oh my goodness gracious, this is this is not just, like you said, it's not just for one particular type of medical or health challenge, but it's something just for wellness and to be able to do and practice all the time, all the time. So one other question I do have for you, though, um, Don, is do you do medication as part of your regimen as well? So, yes, actually, I, I do do medication. And I was, I was uh, extremely hesitant initially uh, about the medication only because when I was initially introduced to the whole mental health model, it was, it was, there was only medication being mm -hmm. offered as a solution. And that, that, to me, was no solution at all. It was just to throw a pill at it. Right. Um, that, that didn't seem helpful but uh the 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 clinic that i i currently uh uh get treated at i was just lucky that when i walked in their philosophy at that clinic was they have a a, a, a whole a, a, a holistic approach to, to treatment um Wonderful. so Wonderful. you know they they encourage a lot of the mindfulness and a lot of so they actually had meditation classes and all of these oh, uh meditation groups classes uh, to participate in so that there was other tools being given mm -hmm. other than to say, here, you have to take this pill for the rest of your life and you should be okay, maybe. Yeah, know. yeah, absolutely. That wow, wow. So I'm looking at our time, and as we round the corner and we pull this all together and wrap this up as, um, with a nice bow on it, as, as I um, say, what, what is one thing that you would like for people to take away from your story? Um, it's really, it's about the stigma. I think the biggest thing in, in, in my whole experience is, is, is if I, if I had bought into the stigma, if, if I hadn't allowed those ideas to transfer to me and to, for me to buy into them, I, I would have been able to have a, a, a much uh, easier path because I think mm -hmm. I would have uh, been able to uh, access treatment much earlier than mm -hmm. I did. So it's about specifically around mental health, specifically in communities of color. Uh, we have a, a lot of a lot of negative uh, ex expressions and a lot of negative ideas and thoughts around mental health. So for me, it's about ending the stigma. So the thing I, I, I and the reason that I talk about my story is so that hopefully other people will be more willing to acknowledge and uh, to access uh, help in in their wellness journey, especially as it relates to mental health. Wow, thank you. So before we let you go, I usually always ask our guests to give our community a tip of the day. It can be on the topic that we're speaking about, or it could be anything that's on your heart. So if you would give our community a tip of the day, we would be honored. So my, my thing is, I, I believe that uh, thoughts are things. Um, I think they have a tangible existence. So I always encourage people to have amazing thoughts. Um, every time you have an amazing thought, that contributes to you having an amazing path in life. So 
uh, take a time every day to try to have at least one amazing thought. I love that. I love that. Thank you so much. And so till next time, we will see you guys back here in the community. Bye now. Take it easy.